This is SB Nation Radio. The next generation of sports radio. Kelly's going to run right. He heads to the goal line. Does he break the plane? He does! Touchdown, Ole Miss! This is college football game day. Roberts is in the shotgun. He takes the snap. He runs to the left. It's a sweep. He's to the forward of the He's three. In. He's in. Touchdown, Michigan. Here are your hosts, Rich Sermonello and Joe Lisi. Are you ready for the showdown? In the Sunshine State later tonight as Florida State plays Miami Seminoles Hurricanes. Rockin' Rich Sermonello, bragging rights are on the line later tonight. Yeah, more than bragging rights at this point, Joe. I, I think it's uh, it's a referendum on whether Miami is back at this point. They've got Mark Richt. We've talked about this for the past decade. Is this program ready to get back to its rightful status as a national power? This is the opportunity tonight, and uh, by God, they better not pass it up because this is a very vulnerable Seminole team. This is the marquee battle later tonight, but, I mean, we are set for a great set of action. Week number six from top to bottom, marquee battles taking place throughout the nation. 12 o'clock Eastern time, we have Oklahoma and Texas, Red River rivalry, 3.30 p.m., where Tennessee and Texas A&M kick it off in Kyle Field, number eight versus number nine in the country. I mean, these games seem to just ramp up the intensity week in and week out, and it's another team that we see stepping to the forefront each and every week. Yeah, I mean, this is an exciting time of year because we, you know, we had September, a lot of good non-conference games, but now we start to really focus in on conference football to see who is going to make a run at a, a conference title, who is going to make a run at the playoffs, Joe. And, and now we start to have separation week after week. You talk about Tennessee, Texas A&M. We'll get into this in such great depth. But, but those types of games are going to decide, for instance, who is the chief contender to Alabama in the SEC. So a ton at stake. We've got a hurricane going on in the South, but uh, it hasn't uh, blown away our enthusiasm, that's for sure. Rich and I have a great show planned for you today, 1031 Eastern Time. We're going to be joined by former Florida State Seminole offensive lineman and national champion Montre Holland. We'll get Montre's take on what Florida State and Jimbo Fisher have to do on the road to methodically wear down that Miami Hurricane front seven that's playing very well. 11 o'clock Eastern time, we'll be joined by our SEC insider, former Georgia Bulldog wide receiver Corey Allen. will give us his, his take on Tennessee and Texas A&M. Also, Alabama and Arkansas SEC West battle taking place in Little Rock tonight. That's an, a big battle for Alabama on the road. We'll get Corey's take about that. There's a lot of weather issues, some games that were canceled. I want to get into those right now in case you're waiting for a breakdown. LSU in Florida has been canceled. Georgia and South Carolina will take place Sunday at 2.30 p.m. Sunday, 2.30 p.m. Georgia and South Carolina game not being played today because of the conditions. North Carolina is another state as well as South Carolina that is affected by the storm. So check the weather reports that battle Notre Dame and NC State should have weather issues. And there's some big injuries taking place today. I'll run through the top three before we get into some thoughts about week number six. Jalen Hurd, Tennessee running back, will not play against Texas A&M today. He has an undisclosed injury, suffered against Georgia. So he will be out today against 
against the Aggies on the road. Texas Tech quarterback Patrick Mahomes is out against Kansas State. Nick Shimanek will fill in for him. The Red Raiders travel to Manhattan a little bit later tonight at 7 o'clock. And then Texas running back Chris Warren for uh, the Longhorns is out for this ballgame against Oklahoma. They're going to need to run the football with Foreman in this battle, but we'll break it down a little bit later. If you want to talk college football with us, give us a call, 844-843-6879. That's 844-843-6879. You could follow me on Twitter at Go for the Two. That's the number two. You could follow Rich on Twitter at Rich Sermonello. That's C-I-R-M-I-N-I-E-L-L-O. Some games that took place on Thursday night. Memphis trailed 13-3 to at the half. They put up 31 second half points to win that ball game against Temple 34 to 27 and then two solid games last night Tulsa knocked off SMU in overtime 43 to 40 SMU playing very well under Chad Morris and then the big one Clemson rebounded in a big way after that victory against Louisville a lot of people thought an emotional letdown did not happen in Chestnut Hill a dominating performance against the Eagles 56 to 10 Rich, that's where I want to start right now because we broke down that game last week against Louisville. Clemson stepped up. They made the plays that they had to. Deshaun Watson and that offense put up over 500 total yards, and the defense stepped up and contained Lamar Jackson when they had to, and this team seems to be peaking at just the right time. Yeah, I I agree. Listen, put me in the camp, Joe, that said I I thought this could have been a letdown game for Clemson. Obviously, the emotional victory over Louisville last week. You had the red bandana game uh, at Boston College. It's a Friday night. It's an opportunity for the Eagles to make a statement. And I know they don't have the talent that Clemson did, but I thought on emotion alone this would have been a more competitive game. But that outcome bodes very well for Clemson because we know defensively they were going to have the upper hand over B.C., but I expected them to struggle a little bit offensively. But what we're seeing now is Deshaun Watson is starting to click. Wayne Gallman is beginning to run the ball. He goes for 109 last night. And maybe the biggest development of all is over the last two weeks, Deshaun Watson making greater use of all of his targets, not just Mike Williams, but Deion Kane now has caught four touchdown passes in the last two games, and tight end Jordan Leggett playing well uh, also. So to me, that was a statement win last night over Boston College at a time that they could have drifted backwards. They actually stepped up their game. And, and credit Dabo Sweeney. He's a big game head coach. And more importantly, he knows how to utilize his playmakers. And I am in agreement with you, Rich. When you look at Clemson last week, they put up over 500 total yards of offense against Louisville, but the rushing offense as well. They put up two on the Cardinals' defensive front seven. They followed that up last night with 229 rushing yards on the ground. That's where they can really put pressure on teams on the perimeter, especially with Deshaun Watson's legs. We mentioned about that last week with Chuck Lynch entering that battle against Louisville. Deshaun Watson only rushed for 120 yards on the ground, no rushing touchdowns. In 2015, he rushed for 1,104 yards, 12 rushing touchdowns. This was an offense last year, 11 straight games with 
over 500 yards of total offense. And in 11 of the 15, they rush for over 200 yards. So that's the other characteristic of this offense. And you mentioned Deion Kane. This guy stepped up, and I love how Dabo Sweeney starts sprinkling in the playmakers. He did it in week number one with Ray Ray McLeod. You mentioned Deion Kane over the last two games now, seven receptions, 166 yards, four touchdowns. That's big. If he could step up, especially in the red zone, takes a lot of pressure off of Deshaun Watson and that offensive line. Yeah, and and listen, the line is blocking better. A couple of sacks last night from Boston College, but over the last couple of games, line has been doing a good job. Such a plethora of weapons for Deshaun Watson. So, yeah, listen, it was a rocky September, but now you have the Louisville victory. You have the blowout of Boston College. You don't have many landmines on the schedule with the exception of Florida State, but Florida State is not playing like Florida State. So the path to a title and possibly another playoff berth for Clemson looks as clear as it has all season. And again, let's not forget the fact that not a good Boston College team, Joe, as you know, but that is a very salty defense. I mean, that is a defense that can shut you down at times. At every level, they have next-level players, so very impressive performance out of Clemson. Well, I was thinking about my top four coming into work today here and thinking about who I would rank from top to bottom, and it was very difficult for me. I think there's no doubt defending national champions, I put – Alabama at number one, but for me, I put Clemson at number two now because of the way they're playing. I see that they're progressing week in and week out. Number three for me, Rich, is Ohio State. Number four, I'm going to surprise some people. I like Washington over Michigan yeah. right now. I mean, just for that dominating performance uh, last week against Christian McCaffrey and Stanford, to me, that physicality on the defensive side of the ball, I give the edge to the Huskies right now. I, I can't argue with you, Joe. I, I don't think that's out of line by saying that. Obviously, Washington makes more headlines with Jim Harbaugh. But when you talk about weapons on offense, I'll take Washington over Michigan. Miles Gaskin, Jake Browning is a better quarterback than Wilton Spate. Both defenses are dominant, but I give the edge to the Washington offense. So I, I think you're on to something there. Obviously, they have a big game against Oregon later today. Let's see if they could break that 12-game losing streak. Yeah, that's a great point, and we're going to be getting into all of these games today. The Red River rivalry, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be breaking down that, Oklahoma and Texas. Another marquee battle is BYU and Michigan State. We're going to break down that game. We're just getting started. Stay with us. This is Joe Lisi and Rich Sermonello live from New York, Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Back on College Football Game Day, we'll get right into the 12 o'clock kicks. Intriguing battle, Georgia Tech and Pittsburgh, Rich. This is an intriguing battle because I don't like the way Georgia Tech is playing. I watched them play against Miami. They're only rushing for 226 yards on the ground, but they're not utilizing quarterback Justin Thomas in the running game. And I look at the flip side, Pittsburgh only allowing 69 rushing yards per game. I like the way this front seven's playing, and turnover margin is an issue for Georgia Tech this season. I don't like that characteristic. I like Pittsburgh to dominate uh, Georgia Tech in this game. 
Yeah, totally agree with you. I, I don't like the way Georgia Tech is trending. I think Paul Johnson is in trouble, Joe. I, I would not be the least bit surprised if he is replaced at the end of the season. They're struggling in the triple option. I've mentioned before, not much star power on that defense. I mean, who do you really point to? Possibly P.J. Davis as a stopper. But Pittsburgh is still a solid football team. They were up and down in September. They can run the ball with James Conner. They have a veteran quarterback in Nate Peterman. And, and although the numbers don't reflect it at this point, a lot of defensive talent uh, to stop that triple option, I agree with that assessment. I think it's a coast for Pittsburgh. I think they go ahead and uh, win this game by at least two touchdowns. And, and I've said this about turnover margin. After one or two weeks, if they're negative in turnover margin, that can be fixed. When you see, start seeing it in week number six, it's a trend. And that's something that I don't like when teams turn over the football. They give up uh, their opposition short fields. And I don't understand why Justin Thomas is not being utilized in the run game, he, they're trying to pass and work him off a of play action. That's not their game, and that's why they're only rushing for 226 yards on the ground. They need to be up around 300 with the triple option. Yeah, I mean, that is the identity of that football team. I mean, everything Georgia Tech over the past six or seven years has been rooted in the triple option, and that for the past two seasons has struggled. If you can't run the ball on the flats, you have very little chance of success, and that's what the Yellow Jackets are mired in right now. So we'll see how that game plays out. It's a 12-30 kick. Another quick game is Penn State and Maryland. you got to love the job that D.J. Durkin has done, but I was impressed with Penn State in an overtime victory over Minnesota. I really like Trace McSorley. I'm calling for the a slight upset. I like Penn State. We have about 30 seconds, Rich. It's a fascinating game. I mean, if you like regional recruiting in that area, this is a very important game. Huge for Maryland, which is 4-0. It's a fascinating game for DJ Durkin. I think it'll be competitive throughout, Joe. Yeah, we'll catch this game on the back end. We're going to take a quick break. We have some marquee battles still to talk about. This is Joe Lisi and Rich Sermonello on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. You're listening to College Football Game Day on SB Nation Radio. Here are your hosts, Rich Sermonello and Joe Lisi. Live from New York, the Red River rivalry, Oklahoma and Texas. Bragan Wrights are on the line in this one. Charlie Strong's job is on the line in this one. Bob Stoops with a, an unbelievable victory in Fort Worth. I mean, the, it's like college basketball now, Rich. I mean, Oklahoma trailed 21-7 to before building a 25-point second-half lead to hold on 52 to 46 over TCU this is an intriguing battle yeah it is on many levels joe i mean this is uh yeah, if you like hot seat chatter this is for you uh texas obviously has the hottest of the hot seat coaches in charlie strong but you know, Bob Stoops is not making any uh, friends with the boosters down in Oklahoma. This is a very important—I'm not suggesting he's on the hot seat or in danger, but this is a huge game for Bob Stoops as well. Both teams are 2-2. Two and two. Neither team is playing defense. Both teams have lots of options offensively, so I would expect to see a high-scoring, extremely emotional game. And you have to wonder at this point, uh, I, I mean— if Charlie Strong loses this game, there's talk that he would make it to the end of the season. But is there anything that he can do over the final seven regular season games uh, to 
to, to get his job back in 2017? Absolutely not, in my opinion. And we mentioned, just in case you didn't know, Chris Warren, running back for Texas, out for this ball game, will not play. They could have used him because they're averaging 261 yards on the ground. When you look at this battle last year, Texas rushed for 313 yards against that Oklahoma Sooner front seven, but they were able to get to Baker Mayfield, sack him a number of times in that ball game. And I look at this Oklahoma team right now. They're giving up. Only 130 rushing yards per game, but the way that secondary was attacked by Kenny Hill and that offense in the second half, vertically on seam routes, Rich, Texas is going to have to stretch them early to open up running lanes with Foreman. This is an intriguing battle because you want to see how it plays out. Turnover margin is another issue for both of these teams. Oklahoma last year was plus nine in turnover margin. They entered this game minus four. Texas last year was plus 11 in turnover margin. It all came at home. They were plus 12 at home, minus one on the road. They're minus four now entering this battle. They're going to need to force turnovers to create a short field. And more importantly, I think if you're Texas, you have to score first to take time off the clock and keep Baker Mayfield on the sidelines. And listen, scoring first is going to be huge because you need momentum. After the last two games that Texas has played, obviously both losses, uh, Cal and Oklahoma State played very poorly, lots of uh, uh, ineffective tackling in the open field, special team struggles. These kids have heard all about it. They know that the situation that, that their coach and the entire staff is in. They need to get off to a fast start. They need to get the crowd on their side. They need to get Shane Bouchel confident in his first game in Dallas. So uh, to me, just so many different storylines. I, I love anything that involves coaching. I love anything that involves uh, something beyond the field. This is a big game that, infect, that affects both of these universities. I agree with that statement. And I'll tell you this about, and it's intriguing because you look at two defensive coaches and Bob Stoops and Charlie Strong, known for their defensive philosophy, defensive mindset. Well, here's Oklahoma entering this battle, averaging 39 points per game. Their defense has given up 35 points per game. Yeah. You look at Charlie Strong's offense, they're averaging 41 points per game, and their defense is allowing 38 points per game. I mean, that's untypical of defensive-minded coaches, but we've seen it now with the transition of the spread offense. Uh, you need to run the football effectively when you have a lead to keep opposing offenses on the field, off the field and keep your defense fresh. These teams don't know how to do that, and that's why their defenses are wearing down at key points in big ball games. Again, I like Texas in this matchup just for their ability, and they need this game. But again, I, I could see it going either way. I'm just not sold on Oklahoma overall as a whole. Mm. I know they put up a, a dynamic effort last week in Fort Worth, but I still like Charlie Strong over Bob Stoops in a big spot. Listen, I, I, I think it comes down to want to, especially on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, which of these teams want this game more? Which defense is able to step up and make stops at critical moments in the game? I like Oklahoma simply because they have the better backfield. They're healthier in the running game. You have the veteran quarterback in Baker Mayfield versus Shane Bouchelle. So I like Oklahoma. I look at that point spread, though, and in a game where there's not a ton of difference between these these two teams, I, I think it's a little bit high at 10-10 plus. So I think this will be a competitive game throughout. I think Oklahoma wins it, 
I'm pretty convinced Oklahoma wins it. Uh, I'm not sure if they get into the double digits, though. Here's the thing about Oklahoma, too. I mean, four games, 13 sacks. They allowed two sacks last week against TCU. Charlie Strong will mix up defensive front coverages and, and slant, uh, in terms of stunts and schemes to get pressure on the perimeter on Baker Mayfield in this matchup. He has to. He cannot allow him to pick apart his secondary that's given up 274 passing yards to opposing offenses. He cannot allow that to happen. That's why I like Tech. I just think Texas right now, they're, they have a heavy offensive line and they're pounding the football effectively with or without Chris Warren. They could utilize Foreman. They could utilize Tyrone Swoops and get it this game the way they did last year, 24-17. to 17. I think the Longhorns win this game, but I think it's close. I think it's a three-point Longhorn victory. I, I think it's a low-scoring game as well. If it's a shootout, forget it. I think Oklahoma wins this game easy, but I'm calling for a low-scoring game. Uh, Longhorns get a, a three-point vic- victory over Oklahoma. I, don't, I can't see any way Texas wins a high-scoring game just the way that, that matchup in Stillwater last week where they fell yeah. behind 14 nothing. You're forced to play catch-up. You cannot run the football effectively. Texas needs to start quick, but they do pick up a three-point victory, in my opinion. Here's a problem, too, with you know, with, in terms of running the ball. I agree with you. I, I think Texas has to uh, – they have to emphasize the ground game. Offensive line has done a great job. Brandon Hodges and Connor Williams, two of the best tackles in the country. But, you know, Foreman is not 100%. I mean, he left that game hobbled as well. Warren, you mentioned, doesn't play. Foreman is not 100%. So I'm not sure if they have to dig deeper into that uh, – into that depth chart to find some running back help. That's a problem that I have, especially on the other side where you have Samaj P. Ryan and Joe Mixon are 100%. So I, I see the Oklahoma victory. I go the other way in this case, Joe. I, I think it's a high-scoring game. Oklahoma wins. Uh, pulls away late. I have I have in the neighborhood of forty one to thirty three Sooners. Interesting. We'll see how that game plays out. It is a twelve o'clock kick and less than two hours away. Oklahoma and Texas. We'll turn our attention to an intriguing matchup in East Lansing. BYU and Taysom Hill after a, a, an unbelievable game in Provo two, uh, a week and a half ago, fifty eight to fifty six over Toledo faces an angry Michigan State team after they lost that ball game in Bloomington, twenty four to twenty one over. Overtime loss to the Hoosiers. They now limp back home, losers of two straight. I like BYU here. They're running the football effectively, Rich, averaging 200 rushing yards on the ground. They're only giving up 134 rushing yards to opposing offenses, and they're plus five in turnover margin. Well, a couple of things. I mean, Jamal Williams is a difference maker for BYU. We saw that in the Toledo game. When you have someone other than Taysom Hill making plays in that offense, it changes the dynamic for BYU. If, if Williams can run the ball against Michigan State, which I don't think he will, uh, Cougars certainly have a shot on the road. But I, I like the angry home team in Michigan State. I don't see them losing another game. I don't see them slipping below 500. So I, I'll take Michigan State. It's got to be close because every BYU game apparently has to be decided by a field goal or less. Rich and I will get back into this game after Montre Holland joins us and we're going to be talking Miami and Florida State. Stay with us. We'll take a quick break. When we come back, Montre Holland, this is Joe Lisi and Rich Sermonello on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Back on College Football Game Day, Rich and I were talking Maryland and DJ Durkin against James Franklin and Penn State on the road today. Intriguing Big Ten battle. 
I like the way Trace McSorley played in the second half of that matchup, and I like the resolve of Penn State. I know they're not running the football effectively, Rich, but the way the passing game is coming along and the way they came back, I mean, Minnesota's a solid, disciplined team on both offense and defensive lines. They have a big quarterback in Mitch Leiner, and for the Nittany Lions to pull out that victory last week showed me something. I'm still not a believer of this Terps team, and more importantly, Perry Hills at the quarterback position. I like Penn State to get the mild upset at home today would that be an upset i mean is vegas saying that would be an upset i i haven't yeah. actually looked at that yeah line, i mean wow. yeah uh, i mean right now maryland the slight favorite on the road i mean i know they got the victory a couple of years me. ago but uh to me yeah. it's a slight upset i'm calling for penn state to win this game yeah yeah, listen, I, I think Penn State wins the game, but I, I, I think this is highly competitive. I'm, I'm not a big fan of Penn State. Obviously, we know that their linebackers have been banged up all year long. Could create some openings for uh, Ty Johnson, the young running back from Maryland, who just was unstoppable last week against your Purdue Boilermakers. So, yeah, I, I, I think Maryland has a lot of confidence. I, I don't think they have an abundance of talent, but this team is beginning to peak second year with DJ Durkin, so the philosophy is set uh, a lot at line. I mean, I, I, I think the Terps will be fired up to go into Happy Valley. Uh, I, a, a Terp win would not shock me at this point, but I think at home I see Penn State holding serve. Yeah, so we're both on Penn State. We're going to be bucking heads. Don't worry, Rich. I'm saving it. I have <laughs> it's, it's, It makes for great radio, but I'll save that for a couple segments down the road. But what I want to talk about right now is two games in North Carolina, Notre Dame and NC State and North Carolina and Vatek. Please check the weather reports. Major rain could affect both of these games. We'll look at Vatek and North Carolina. For me, it's the Vatek running attack that's averaging 198 yards on the ground. They're only giving up 113 rushing yards on the ground to opposing offenses and not sold on the way North Carolina has to move the football. They're going to need Elijah Hood. I like Vatek in the mild upset in Chapel Hill. Yeah, we're not going to buck heads here. I, I, I think if I have a, quote, upset special, I, I, I think it's Vatek as well. Very underrated at this stage of the season, in my opinion. Yeah, when we look at Notre Dame and NC State, we're not going to get into it. We have about 30 seconds, but please keep in mind both of these guys. Jalen Samuels and Matt Days for NC State. Dave Dorian's a solid coach. NC State putting up over 200 yards passing per game and 200 yards rushing per game. We'll come back and break this game down. This is Joe Lisi and Rich Sermonello on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. You're listening to College Football Game Day on SB Nation Radio. Here are your hosts, Rich Sermonello and Joe Lisi. Back on College Football Game Day, live from New York City. We're going to be breaking down Florida State and Miami right now. Knowles versus the Canes. It doesn't get better than this. We're supposed to wait for Montre Holland to be joining us. He's live right now on the Progressive Celebrity Hotline. What better way to talk Knowles and Canes than with a former player in this rivalry? Montre, how are you today? I'm doing great, man. How about yourself? I'm doing well. Thanks for joining us today. It doesn't get better than this classic ACC battle. Talk to me about Florida State coming off an emotional loss last week to North Carolina, losing that ball game on a last-second field goal. Where is their mindset right now? And more importantly, Montre, what do they have to do today to pull out the victory on the road against Miami? Well, I, you know, I'm a firm believer of you know little things. Uh, make make big things happen, you know. So right now, I think the team is fairly young, but there's never been an excuse before. So 
I'm not here to, you know, throw anybody under the bus or, you know, point fingers or anything. But right now, man, we need to refocus. And I, and I think that's been that's been one of the, the things that we've been struggling with. It, it's basically the, the right mindset, the focus, the preparation, the things that go into the game that are unseen. And I think because of a young team, they don't really understand how important preparation is. And it shows up on the film to where you see – you know, basically not so efficient football. So Ma- Yeah, Montre Rich Sermonello. Uh talk a little bit about the defense. For me, that's been one of the big surprises through the first five mm-hmm. games. I know Derwin is out, obviously, uh, and he's yeah. a superstar, but what have you seen in these first few games uh that has kind of caught you surprised by the play of the day? The confusion. Um to be honest with you, I really, I really don't understand it because when you think Florida State, you think of defense, and you think of you know a heck of a defense, a top rated defense at that. And I was looking at the stats the other day. I think we're what ranked one twenty five out one twenty eight. That that's just not Florida State football. So. <sighs> Right, right now, man, I really don't understand. I really don't understand. I mean, I, I know it's, it's it's two things that are that are in the equation. We got the coach and we got the player. And right now, it's falling on both of their shoulders. I don't know whose fault it is, but it's somebody's fault. We in this thing together. We're coworkers. We got to make it happen. Montre, when we spoke in the offseason, we both were in agreement about the explosiveness of running back Dalvin Cook. We've seen glimpses of that, and you're a big hog on that. You're a national champion, you know, blocked for quarterback Chris Wenke back in the day. I mean, you understand going up against solid physical defensive front sevens. What does this offensive line have to do? Because they're pounding the rock for 240 yards on the ground, but they've allowed 16 sacks now through five games. Do you attribute that to a technique problem or more importantly the inexperience of DeAndre Francois definitely going to take Francois out of the question because if you if you look at it a quarterback if he's playing seven on seven <laughs> without being harassed he's pretty much going to deliver I feel like at this level at Florida State he should be able to deliver a good ball and it should go for a touchdown if seven on seven all right now, taking him out of the equation, <laughs> the offensive line, pass protection is about understanding angles. And if you don't understand those angles, you get beat. You know, you, 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 we all pound the ball. Run blocking is more of attitude. Pass protection is more of a learn. It's a, it's a learned skill. Because nowhere do you see anyone – just walking backwards, you know, squatting down in the stands and, and, and taking passes backwards and walking around here in society today. So it's the most unnatural position on the football field. With that being said, you have to work this craft over and over and over and over and over and over again until you learn it to where you're not even thinking about it. And so with these young guys that we have, I'm not sure – if they understand the sense of urgency that you have to have while working your craft. And I'll say, leave it right there. (laughs) 
Let's uh, let's get into the rivalry. For me, Montre, eighties, nineties, nothing typifies those decades more than Miami, Florida State. You you could you could keep your Michigan, Ohio State, Miami, Florida State is where it's at. Having played in those games, how intense is the hatred between the Knowles and the Canes? You know what? I wouldn't even call it hatred. It's more of a respect. Okay. Uh, it's more respect now that there is a team in Florida that there is a lot of hatred toward <laughs> the Gators. Okay, hatred. Miami, more respect. You know, so um, I was just looking at the 2002 um, Florida State versus Miami. We were playing uh, down in down in Miami, and <laughs> I, I forgot all about it. I was going against Vince Wilford. You talk about a a physical defense, and he was a part of it. And uh, a very, very big explosive man, along with the rest of the defense. Uh, I think it was about, had to be about six or seven guys that went to the NFL off that defense. So we we understood the competition level. The competition level is always going to be high because that's where all the NFL scouts come to watch this game to see who's going to be the next big thing. And I mean, you go into this game and you understand that you understand that this is a money game, quote unquote. So you go into this game and it's so big on every level because you're trying to win a championship and you're trying to secure a future. With those two things on the line, man, the, the motivation to go out and do well is unbelievable. So it's a big game, man. You just got to be ready for it. That's why you come to Florida State. That's why you go to Miami. Montre, when I look at this team overall, Florida State, and we've seen it now a couple of years, three years in the making, even with Jameis Winston, their inability to really jump up early on teams. I mean, they they love playing with a lead, but when you play a better team like Louisville a few weeks ago, that can bite you. So how important is it for Florida State to jump up early in this battle? Because we saw North Carolina do it last week in Tallahassee. This team always seems to play from behind. That's more of a mindset, isn't it? I believe it is. I, I believe it's more of a focus issue. And it, you can't go into a game, I don't feel, as being a counterpuncher. Uh, I think you should go into the game – being the aggressor, and I know playing against Mark Rick, which was my offense coordinator, I know how he thinks because I was in the same meeting rooms with him. He's going to come into this game saying, we're going to jump on them early, and we're going to keep our foot on their throat for 60 minutes. That's how we're going to beat the Florida State Seminoles. And if you wait till halftime to make those adjustments, it's going to be bad. It's going to be really bad. So I believe I'm hoping this week of preparation, you know, being that we're, uh, you know, into the season a little bit, you should have more film to study. So you should be able to prepare more. And I think with this, at this point, preparation is the key to starting fast. Is uh, Miami back? I, I know you're a knoll, but I'm sure you've watched Kane football. Is, is Miami back or are they more a product of – a pretty soft start to the 2016 season. Uh, I think they're still trying to find themselves. I mean, you got to look at it. They're still trying to learn the head coach and how he responds to things that come up in the season. Um, and I don't really think Miami, when you say Miami is back, 
you got to understand what back means. Back means six first rounders on the defense, five first rounders on the offense. I mean, it was so much talent that you were playing against in Miami that it's more of, you would think more of Alabama right now. You know what I mean? Montre. Great information. We're going to keep you to the next segment. Stay with us. This is Joe Lisi and Rich Sermonello coming back with Montre Holland on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Back on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network, we're with Montre Holland. He'll be joining us in a couple of minutes as we continue our coverage of Florida State and Miami. Rich, we talked about two games, though. Vatek and North Carolina. I like Virginia Tech's ability to run the football, especially on a wet track. I don't see Mitch Trubisky in that offense, a finesse offense, moving the football effectively. And the fact that Elijah Hood is nicked up in this ballgame, I like the Hokies to win this ballgame. Yeah, I, I do as well. I, I think this is a potential coming out party for people who don't know Justin Fuente. This could be a game that uh, the nation really looks at and says, uh, you know what, uh, there might be someone other than Tom Herman that uh, even larger programs could be interested in. I think you know, if it wasn't for the weather, I, I, I'm disappointed that the nation would not going to really have an opportunity to see to Gerard Evans, who has played very well over the past couple of weeks, junior college transfer quarterback, mobile, good passer, developing nicely uh, in that Fuente offense. Unfortunately, pending the weather, I, I think a lot of those playmakers could be shut down, like Isaiah Ford as well on the outside uh, this afternoon. And Bucky Hodges, we'll see. I mean, Gerard Evans is a big guy, too. He goes about 242 pounds, so they have the advantage if they want to run Evans as well on the perimeter over Trubisky is more of a pocket passer. The other intriguing battle in North Carolina is two finesse teams, Notre Dame on the road in Raleigh against NC State. But I like the way Dave Dorian is coaching this team. Like I said, they're rushing for over 200, passing for over 200. Matt Days and Jalen Samuels and a physicality on defense that I saw step up against Wake Forest last week. I'm not sold on Notre Dame. I don't care if they dismantled Syracuse in MetLife. I like NC State at home, especially with a wet track today. Yeah, the one thing I disagree with vehemently is is the Dave Doran assessment. I, I, Dave Doran has not been successful in Raleigh over the past couple of years. If you look at his record against quality p- opponents, it's somewhere in the in the neighborhood Joe of two and twenty against FBS opponents with winning records. So he has feasted on subpar competition. I, I think we'll see that today. I can't see him getting that quality win over Notre Dame. They have been close, and the, w- after he took over that program, though, Rich, he the cupboard was. Bear. I mean, they almost knocked off Florida State a few years ago. They had Clemson on the ropes. So I disagree with you on that statement because NC State only allowing 99 rushing yards per game. I saw the physicality last week. Wake Forest with Clawson, undefeated team, and they stepped up and really shut them down. We'll get back to this game. When we come back, we'll take a quick break. Joining us will be Montre Holland. This is Joe Lisi and Rich Sermonello on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. You're listening to College Football Game Day on SB Nation Radio. Here are your hosts, Rich Sermonello and Joe Lisi. Live from the Fantasy Sports Radio Network here in New York City, we were breaking down our coverage of Florida State and Miami on the Progressive Celebrity Hotline is Montre Holland. Montre, I'm sorry we had to go to a hard break there, but you were talking about Florida State and the mentality factor. 
Do you see the Seminoles stepping up here on the road against the Hurricanes today? I think today is going to be a great game uh, because, I mean, stepping back, Coach Jimbo Fisher has done a great job, you know, motivating these guys. It's just, you know, that you, when you come in with good motivation, you still have to have the X's and O's down. Uh, you got to come in prepared, you know, whether or not your emotions are high or not, doesn't matter if you don't execute. So, um, I believe both teams will be very, very prepared, and I think we're in for a, a great show um, tonight at you know at eight o'clock. Montre, love the inside. I love the way and your intensity about this rivalry, and more importantly, about your former alma mater, the Florida State Seminoles. Love to have you on as we inch closer towards the end of the season. I hope you enjoyed it today. Oh yeah, it's always a pleasure, man. And anytime I can. Uh, you know, talk about my school. I'm very, very proud of, of my school, man. And, you know, it was a great experience for me, you know, being there, being, you know, being able to play in the three national championships, only one one, but the experience of being there was amazing. The experience of being around the guys that I was able to be around. I mean, it was, uh, it was, it was a great thing for me and uh, joined the brotherhood. So I'm very, very excited, still excited about Florida State football, but we just got to get it back on track. Have a great weekend, Montre. That was former Florida State offensive lineman, national champion, and big-time NFL player for Denver and Dallas and Chicago, Montre Holland. Rich, I mean, great insight. You heard it. It's not a, a hate did. factor. It's a, it's a yep. respect factor of Hurricanes and Seminoles. I, you can hear that in his voice, which I really love. That speaks to the intensity of the rivalry. Uh, I mistakenly used the word hatred. He corrected me and said, no, the hatred is actually reserved for the Gators, which I didn't realize that. Uh, but he did talk about just how much this game means, not just in state, but for the futures of a lot of these young men. I mean, this is a money game. This is an opportunity to showcase your skills uh, to the next level, to scouts at the next level. And, you know, one of the things I didn't get to, but I, I think he probably answered for me was, is there any chance that Florida State, now with a couple of losses, out of a, uh, a possibility of winning an ACC title or getting to the playoffs, any chance they're a little bit flat tonight? And because it's the Canes on the opposite side of the field, I just don't think there's any chance of that. I agree with you. They have won the, since 2011. They're 5-0 by 14 points per game. Here's the breakdown for me when I look at this matchup. Offenses are putting up points. I mean, Florida State, 41 points per game. Miami, 47 points per game. Defensively, Miami has the edge by far. I mean, they're only giving up 11 points per game, only giving up 115 rushing yards on the ground and 137 passing yards to opposing offenses. But here's what I look when I look at Miami's offense right now. One-dimensional, in my opinion. They're only rushing for 111 yards on the ground. Somehow, some way, I think Florida State can make them one-dimensional. I, I love Joseph Yerby. I love Mark Walton. But I look at the competition as well. I mean, Florida State's played Ole Miss. They played North yeah. Carolina. They played Louisville. And not to take away from Miami's victories. Here's the other factor. I'm a huge Bulldog fan. Mark Richt in a big game. I mean, I'm not, I mean, we saw a big game last year in Athens-Sanford Stadium against Alabama. Team came out flat. We saw in the cocktail party against Florida. Team came out flat. So is there, he's at his alma mater. Is that an issue for the Miami Hurricanes to maybe just limp through and just walk in thinking that they're the Hurricanes in this battle? 
I, I don't think so. I, I, I think this is it's synonymous with Washington out in Oregon. I, I think you've been on the losing end of this rivalry long enough. You now have the upper hand. You're the higher-ranked team. I think you're going to seize the opportunity. Disagree with the statement about being one-dimensional. I mean, Miami has run the ball exceedingly well with Walton and Yerby. Seven yards a carry along with the passing of Brad Kaya. So I don't think that's an issue. One point I think I want to echo that you mentioned is, listen, the Florida State defense has been terrible. Charles Kelly, the defensive coordinator, has to do a better job. But look at the quarterbacks they faced. I'm not trying to give them a pass, but you face Chad Kelly. You face Lamar Jackson. You face Quentin Flowers. Last week it was Mitch Trubisky. This week it's Brad Kaya. So it's not as if they've played the softies that Miami has. They have been tested against some of the best, most dynamic quarterbacks in the country. That is a factor in why that defense is playing so poorly. Yeah, that's a great point. And you look to the flip side of Miami's defense. They're only hold. I mean, they're only allowing 51 percent completion percentage to opposing quarterbacks. I mean, that's unbelievable. You talk about the yards per carry for Miami. They're only they're holding opposing offenses to 2.6 yards per carry. So, I mean, when your defense can hold offenses to under three yards per carry, you're forcing third down and long situations, and that's a problem for opposing offenses. Again, when you have a redshirt freshman quarterback, I don't care how athletic he is, if you put him in third down and long situations consistently – More times than not, your defense is going to get off the field and give the ball back to your offense. This is the question I have, Joe. It's why I love these types of games so much. You've played Florida A&M, Florida Atlantic, App State, and one-dimensional Georgia Tech. So I don't know if we've learned anything about the Miami defense so far this year. Who are the stars? Who are the stoppers that can slow down Dalvin Cook tonight? They do it tonight, I'm convinced. But at this point, to me, uh, the jury is still out on the Miami day. Well, I think he's the best player on the field. He hasn't lived up to the Heisman expectations. We saw glimpses of it in uh, Ole Miss. He was more utilized as a a receiver in the first half. We saw him break out against South Florida on the road. I'm going to get to Rich's prediction. I like Florida State in this matchup. I still think they have the best player on the field. Upset City, Florida State knocks off Miami. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, Corey Allen will be breaking down the SEC. This is Joe Lisi and Rich Sermonell on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Back on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network, talking Notre Dame and talking NC State. Rich and I are bucking heads. He's not high on NC State, so I'm assuming you're going with the Fighting Irish. I'm loving the Wolfpack at home in Raleigh. 99 rushing yards per game to opposing offenses. I love the way the front seven played, Rich, last week against Wake. It's Wake Forest, Joe. Uh, I, I mean, listen, I, I, I know Wake Forest was unbeaten heading into last you week. You liked but, Wake uh, Forest last week, and I liked NC I, State. I did. I, I did like Wake Forest last week. You're right, and thank you for bringing that up. But, I mean, let, let's, not, uh, let's not hang our hat on a win over the Demon Deacons. I'll go back to the fact that Dave Doran has been perennially unsuccessful at competing against the better teams on the schedule. Now, I don't think Notre Dame is a juggernaut this year, but they clearly have more talent than the Wolfpack. They have the better quarterback in Deshaun Kaiser over Ryan Finley. Now, I do like some of the pack players. You had mentioned uh, Jalen Samuels, uh, Jalen 
Samuels, one of the most versatile players in the country. Matt Days, terrific running back. But this team just doesn't get it done in big spots, and I know they want this victory over Notre Dame. It's a big spot to them. Doran has not proven the ability. He has not been a good coach at NC State. I don't buy that rhetoric at all. Well, he came from Northern Illinois, where he preached a physicality on the offense and defensive lines. And I really think that the cupboard was dry when he got there. I really don't think that he had a lot to work with. And he's, Is the cupboard full now, though, Joe? I mean, but, I, don't, I wouldn't say the cupboard's full. No, I mean, but yeah. he's got playmakers. I mean, I really think Jacoby Brissett really hurt that team last year. I really do in terms of his decision-making ability. He held the ball way too much. I don't care if Bill Belichick put, uh, drafted him in the fourth round la- uh, this year. I was not high on what Jacoby Brissett did to that offense. Didn't think he got through his reads and progressions and thought that he held the ball way too long and that hurt that offense. I like what Finley's doing in the offense, but it's the defense. To me, when you can run the football effectively between the tackles and you have a team in Notre Dame that's given up 186 rushing yards on the ground and you cannot stop anybody, I'll take my chances with a better offense and more importantly, a physicality on defense. You lost to East Carolina which lost last week to UCF. So I I still think NC State is a middling ACC team. Uh, Listen, I'll admit it if I'm wrong against Notre Dame, but NC State just does not win big games. They beef up every year against a poor non-conference schedule, this year being no different. We are going to continue the conversation with this one. We might have to bet a cup of coffee on this one, Rich, because, (laughs) and I know know we're going to be betting on Texas Tech and K-State going head-to-head. We'll take a quick break. When we come back, Corey Allen will be joining us. us. This is Joe Lisi and Rich Sermonello on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. This is SB Nation Radio. The next generation of sports radio. Kelly's going to run right. He hits the goal line. Does he break the plane? He does! Touchdown! Oh Miss! This is College Football Game Day. Peppers is in the shotgun. He takes the snap. He runs to the left. It's a sweep. He's to the forward of the He's three. In. He's in. Touchdown, Michigan! Here are your hosts, Rich Sermonello and Joe Lisi. Two spotlight games in the SEC today. Tennessee travels to Kyle Field in College Station. Number nine, Tennessee facing number eight, Texas A&M. And then a classic battle tonight, Arkansas and Alabama. What better way to talk about these games than with a former big play playmaker in the SEC. He's live on the Progressive Celebrity Hotline. I want to welcome in former Georgia Bulldog wide receiver Corey Allen. Corey, how are you today? Hey, Joe, it's Storm Central down here in SEC country. Hurricane Matthew has made his presence known, but we're still going to play a lot of good quality high-end football down here, so we're ready. We're going to patch up these fields, and we're going to get these kids ready to play some competitive ball. Tennessee, with a monumental, Corey, upset of Georgia in Sanford Stadium, a miraculous Hail Mary to win that ball game 34-31. I know your heart is bleeding after that victory by the Vols. Butch Jones and the crew now traveled to Kyle Field to take on the upstart, undefeated Texas A&M Aggies. Want to get your thoughts on what this team has to do. They're going to be without their playmaker, Jalen Hurd, at the running back position. But talk to me about this team overall with Butch Jones. Can Josh Dobbs and the crew get the upset win on the road? You're exactly right, Joe. For me, as a a Georgia Bulldog, it's hard for me to count the Tennessee Volunteers out at this point. Right now, they've shown that they have the wherewithal to win close games and tough matchups. And the matchup that they have today at Kyle Field against the 12th man and the Texas A&M Aggies should be no different. 
even though they don't have Jalen Hurd, who's a superstar running back and who's all who's always been a steady provider for that volunteer offense. I think right now, quarterback Josh Dobbs is paying. He's really he's really paying great dividends to that Tennessee staff. He's he's at a high level as far as how he's playing. That passing attack is really steady right now. And the main thing that Tennessee is going to have to focus on, Joe, is really playing great defense because Texas A&M with Trevor Knight, with Trey Williams, and the rest of that high-powered offense that they bring to the table, they're going to be ready to play at a high level too. So this is going to be a great matchup. Tennessee is going to have to overcome replacing that starting running back. But I believe they're going to have to come together as a unit, and that's Butch Jones's job to pull those kids together to see if they can overcome just another step of adversity. Corey, Rich Sermonello, obviously we'll talk a lot about the uh, quarterbacks in this matchup. I, I love the game because of the defensive ends. Could you just touch on uh, the impact that a Miles Garrett, that a Derek Barnett, a Deshaun Hall can have on, on this afternoon's matchup? Well, Garrett and Barnett are special players uh, when you just speak about those two individually. What the pass rush really does is help to dictate the pace of the game because if they're affecting your quarterback, then neither one is going to have time to uh, really take those deep drops and have that time and play action so that we can see the big plays. So when you look at Garrett and Barnett, these are kids that are going to have they're going to have a great opportunity to impact the game, whether it be the scheme, if they're going to do a lot of blitzing from the outside, or if they just try to make impact plays on their own by forcing the running game to be more prevalent. Because I think if you have impact defensive ends, it really hinders the offense because it, it, it really prevents you from doing two things. Uh, Rich, when you consider running at the edge in the perimeter, these defensive ends aren't, aren't going to allow you to get that edge. And at the same time, your quarterback, whether it be Josh Dobbs or Trevor Knight, will be in jeopardy on a five-step drop. Because these these kids are going to pin their ears their ears back, and they're going to come after that quarterback. Corey, when you talk about Trevor Knight, I mean the one thing that I look at in in terms of his decision making, he's a more mature quarterback this year than we've seen in years past at Oklahoma, where he had a tendency to force balls into coverage. But his mobility is a big factor in this ball game, and a main reason why, in my opinion, Texas A and M has only allowed five sacks through five games. Talk to me about his running ability because he's only completing fifty four percent of his passes, but it's his ability to put pressure on opposing defenses on the perimeter that, in my opinion, I like Texas A&M because of that advantage. Well, that is a clear advantage, even if you look at uh, the the versatility of Josh Dobbs. I think Trevor Knight might be a much better instinctive runner. True enough, he does only have 54% completion percentage, but right now he's third in the league in passing. So because of his ability to get in and out of the pocket, he does still make plays down the field. He's much more mature than he was at this point in the season than he was to start the season. He's, he's doing a much better job of uh, having a pocket presence and making his plays in the pocket. His mobility is always going to be a factor because you know on the defensive side of the ball, when you face Trevor Knight, he's going to have the option to run or pass. So you have to keep your head up and you have to keep your eyes on those wide receivers. But the mobility that he's shown just in this season alone has been key in Texas A&M moving the ball down the field and especially on third down. That's when he's the biggest threat when you can move the chains on third down using your arms or your legs, that's always going to cause problems for a defense. Corey, the Tennessee secondary, soft the past couple of weeks, soft in the Georgia game last week, uh, struggling without Cameron Sutton, their star cornerback. Uh, 
former receiver. You know receivers as well as anyone. Talk a little bit about those A&M receivers getting healthier, so deep, so talented, and the impact that they can have on the game today. Well, A&M's receivers are extremely tall. These playmakers are really looking to impact the game primarily because they have a strong running attack when you look at what Trey Williams brings to the table. So Trevor Knight does a good job, especially on the early uh, play-action downs. When Whenever Coach Sumlin puts his quarterback in a position to go play-action on the early downs, those usually tall, big, strong, wide receivers are going to be a great matchup against what is really an untested Tennessee secondary. When you lose a kid like Cam Sutton, a local guy, here to the Atlanta area, a local kid that has played a lot of snaps and done a lot of great things for the volunteers, that's going to be an area of concern for Tennessee. So I I anticipate Coach Sumlin and and Trevor Knight and the rest of that receiving core to really look up and try to take advantage of the matchups because A&M does a great job in isolating the receivers, but they also do a great job with that play-action pass to keep those defensive backs on their toes because the receivers that they have can really uh, really create a lot of big plays. And the one thing that you don't want in this game, an 8-9 matchup on your home field uh, as far as A&M is concerned, is you don't want Tennessee to hang around and really feel like they can win the game. So I believe the passing attack is going to be key, especially in the early part of the game because right now both of these teams are going to try to fill each other out, but the big play is going to have to come sooner than later. We'll turn our attention to the other matchup in Arkansas later today, Alabama and Arkansas. Uh, Alabama's won five, uh, five straight games since 2011 by 28 points per game. But the last two, Corey, been decided by a total of 14 points. What does Arkansas have to do offensively in this matchup to challenge Alabama and possibly get the upset victory? The main thing you have to do, Joe, and if you want to beat an Alabama team coached by Nick Saban, is really you have to have a dynamic quarterback. Austin Allen is going to really have to have the game of his life. Right now, his quarterback rating leads the SEC at 167.7, but he's also going to have to be a kid that uses what he can as far as uses his legs on the perimeter. Uh, Jonathan Allen is going to do his best on that defensive line for Alabama to come after this quarterback, and that entire defensive unit is going to follow suit. So I believe Arkansas is going to have to do a great job controlling tempo. They're going to have to do a great job, a great job really just keeping the ball away from that Alabama offense, but they're also going to have to do a great job protecting the ball. You cannot be afraid to punt the ball on fourth down against Alabama. You don't want to make risky decisions on third down because that's usually where they take advantage of you. And uh, right now when you've got uh, a strong defense, even when you look at the secondary like a guy like Andre Tolliver or uh, the, the remainder of the defense on the Arkansas side, I think these kids are going to have to play some of their best football in front of the home crowd. I think Brett Bielema really had that team licking their chops. They've already got the one loss this season, and they really can't afford many more. So I think this is a great opportunity for the Razorbacks. I think their offensive firepower is really going to be their best threat and that's going to be helped primarily by the performance of quarterback Austin Allen. Let's flip to the other uh, side of uh, uh, the offensive equation, the, the young backfield of Alabama. Very un-Nick Saban-like. you got the rookie quarterback in Jalen Hurts. You have a back in Joshua Jacobs, although he's still a backup. His role has been increasing. Could you talk a little bit about the young, true freshman players uh, in that Alabama backfield and, and how they've been impacting the game? I think the best thing that they can do is listen to Lane Kiffin. Lane Kiffin has really done a decent job moving the offense along slowly. He really does this every year, Rich, when you look at how Alabama changes the play calling from week one to week four versus week 12. 
Uh, they do a great job really slow, slow patrolling that offense. They don't show you everything that you're going to be able to see in the latter part of the year, and I think that's really the, the, the main thing that is going to be an asset uh, for a guy like Jacob or, 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 or even Bo Scarborough coming out of the backfield or even Jalen Hurts. They have to do a great job continuing to learn because Lane Kiffin is going to add new things every week, and Corey. these young kids are going to continue. We'll take I'm still a, here. I'm sorry. Yeah, we'll take a quick break. Stay with us. We'll come back. This is Joe Lisi and Rich Sermonello on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Bucking and rolling through week number six. Rich and I are bucking heads. We have Corey Allen live on the line. He'll be joining us in the next three minutes. Continue our coverage of Alabama and Arkansas. But, Rich, I know we're bucking heads right now, and I don't care. Texas Tech and Kansas State. No Patrick Mahomes. Nick Simonek is making the start. They dominate this matchup over Kansas State. Great call with Kansas State. They lost by a point to West Virginia. But this is a team that struggles with finesse offenses. And to me, Texas Tech has way too much speed for the Wildcats later today. I don't have a problem, Joe, with with Shimanek, uh taking the ball today. He played very well last week in reserve after Mahomes was injured. And listen, Cliff Kingsbury is the quarterback whisperer. I, I, I have no problems with a backup playing in this regard. But Texas Tech doesn't play any defense. So for me, this is, this is an opportunity for Jesse Ertz to play better, Charles Jones, the running back, Dominique Heath. Uh, the, the Kansas State playmakers who have not been able to bust out all year they bust out against texas tech they're at home in manhattan i think kansas state wins 34 to 28 listen k-state has got a terrific defense we saw that last week against west virginia we'll see it again today against texas all right tech. here's where i'm disagreeing with you with kansas state you said playmakers they don't have any really this offense is predicated on running the football kansas state hasn't played anybody and if you're going to judge kansas state on that victory or that loss wait, to wait, stand wait wait a second they, they haven't I, played anybody they how about stanford they, they lost stanford. that game they haven't beaten anybody but who don't is say they haven't played but anybody they haven't, they, they, but that's my point against kansas state we look at this team as a, an elite team in losses they haven't beaten anybody and when you look at this matchup against texas tech last year in lubbock they fell behind 28 to 7 on the road and were forced out of their game plan by patrick mahomes in that offense and that's why i think it's a, a speed problem i pick kansas state right above kansas i don't think they have the playmakers legitimately to play with the teams in their conference. I think this is a team that's going in the opposite direction. And more importantly, I don't think that Texas Tech overall, you look at their rush defense, they're only giving up 166 yards on the ground. Last year, they were up around 270, Rich. So that's the difference. We'll continue this conversation, I'm sure. Texas Tech and K-State. But I like the Red Raiders to get the upset today. Joe, you're filibustering right now. And real quick, you got, you got to, Kansas State hasn't beaten anybody. Who has Texas Tech beaten? Wait, where's their quality win? Is that the Louisiana Tech win? No, but they played Arizona State. They played Arizona State. And they lost. But they They played very well. Oh, sure. Giving up 68 68 points. We're coming back with this. We are coming back with this conversation right now. We're going to take a quick break. This is Joe Lisi, Rich Sermonello, Texas Tech and K-State. Corey Allen up next. Joe Lisi on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network.
You're listening to College Football Game Day on SB Nation Radio. Here are your hosts, Rich Sermonello and Joe Lisi. Alabama and Arkansas live on the Progressive Celebrity Hotline is former Georgia Bulldog wide receiver Corey Allen. Corey, we were talking about quarterback Jalen Hurts and his ability in the system. What does he have to do tonight against Arkansas to get it done on the road? He's going to have to convert, Joe. He's going to have to move those chains on third down. He's going to have to find Calvin Ridley, and he needs to minimize mistakes when he plays in a rough environment on the road. Jalen Hurts is by far the most talented quarterback, if you ask me my opinion, on that Alabama roster. And I feel like Coach Kiffin needs to continue to uh, allow this young quarterback to grow in that system. That way he will continue to minimize the mistakes. Right now Alabama does a decent job on third down, converting just around 47%. So, I think Jalen is going to be the key, especially on third down, which is always the big down in these games. Who's going to make mistakes and who's going to minimize them? Corey, obviously, Brett Bielema wants to run the ball. He always wants to run the ball. He's got a pretty good offensive line, too. I look at players like Dan Skipper, their center, Frank Ragnow, one of the best run-blocking centers in the country. Any chance that Arkansas can control the line of scrimmage, uh, develop a little bit of a running game with, with Raleigh Williams? Well, there is a chance. I mean, you definitely have the outside chance. Sometimes you never know what's going to happen on any given Saturday. As far as the percentages, it doesn't lend to that fact. Uh, But Arkansas has a chance, but they're going to have to be strong in trying to dictate that pace. They're going to have to do a great job of forcing their will on Alabama, which sounds impossible. But you can't run away from that beast that stands right in front of you, especially when it's wearing crimson and white. So I think Arkansas is going to have to do a great job uh, being creative in the running game, they're going to have to not only run on the edge and use that perimeter, but they got to find ways to run between the tackles. That way the linebackers on the Alabama side are going to have to step up like a Reuben Foster and really attack the running game because uh, if they don't find the running game a threat, then they're going to just pin their ears back, blitz that quarterback, Austin Allen, and he's going to have a lot of trouble going against the secondary that really knows how to perform when the pass rush is doing well. Great insight by uh... – Corey Allen, Rich, it was unbelievable. I know he's picking Tennessee, and he's, he likes Arkansas to keep this game close. I think Texas A&M blows them out. I really do. I think the speed of Travion Williams, I think the speed on the perimeter. I'm not sold on Tennessee's defense, especially in run support. They've given up a chunk of yardage to App State. They've given up a chunk in the first half to Florida. And more importantly, they really haven't played a complete start-to-finish game of football. I mean, it's either been one half, a first-half performance, a second half. To me, I like Texas A&M's defense, and more importantly, only uh, they're holding opposing options offenses to 33% on third down conversion. So I like Texas A&M to dominate, and I think Arkansas loses a very close game against the Alabama Crimson Tide. Now, I would agree with you on, on both regards, Joe. I, I, I think right now it's a, it's a referendum on Texas A&M today, playing so well on both sides of the ball, more consistent, more complete program. Yeah, Tennessee's a little scary. I mean, a team that gets that level of confidence, they have some magic, they have some mojo. That's somebody that's hard to bet against. But I think when I look man for man, talent for talent, I just Texas. I think Texas A&M is the better team right now. Trevor Knight outplays 
uh, Joshua Dobbs. And and I, I tend to agree. I, I think Arkansas is going to be fired up. I think that offense has a little more firepower, a little more diversity than in recent years. I believe they'll struggle defensively against that Alabama offensive line, but I think it'll be competitive with an Alabama victory. So I do agree with you. Well, here's the thing about Alabama that they're going to have to attack is that secondary of Arkansas. You look at this battle last year in Tuscaloosa. Arkansas held a 7-3 to third quarter lead before they let that lead slip. They allowed a big play to Calvin Ridley that really opened up the floodgates and allowed Alabama to cruise in that battle in the fourth quarter. But they were in that game from start to finish. You remember Brett Bielma faked a punt when they were down 10-7 to in that battle, really cost field position. So he's a riverboat gambler, and he has his teams ready. And the way they played in the first half against A&M leads me to believe they can run the football against a solid defensive front seven with Raleigh Williams. And that was a competitive game in the first half, Joe. If you recall, Texas A&M just kind of took flight in the second half, ran away. That game was closer than the final score indicated. And, you know, Arkansas has Williams. They have the beefy back in the ground game that Bielema likes. But I also like some of their weapons in the passing game. Jeremy Sprinkle, 6'6", 256 pounds, big-time, next-level tight end. Keon Hatcher is a playmaker on the outside, the wide receiver. So, listen, it's hard to throw the ball on that Alabama secondary, and I understand that. But Austin Allen does have a good array of weapons to possibly get in the end zone, possibly keep this game close. At the end of the day, far too much talent on the Alabama side. But you also have the rookie quarterback in Jalen Hurts going to Fayetteville tonight. That is not going to be an easy spot for him on the Tide side. Great point on that because he will be making a road start. He struggled in the first half in Oxford. They really got him and from a physicality perspective really brought the defense to Jalen Hurts. He turned the ball over. So we have to see if that front seven from Arkansas can do the same type of thing. And the one thing I think that when you look at Arkansas, they're going to need to run the football because of how they work off a of play action and how they utilize their tight end. So Dan Enos loves to run the football early on stretch plays and then once they have success on the perimeter then he opens up. He likes to run waggle on play action. Unless you have that type of success, you can't run that type of offense Alabama only giving up 68 rushing yards per game, so we'll see how that matchup plays out. The other thing I wanted to talk about when I look at Tennessee is their offensive line, Rich. Ten sacks allowed already, and the lack of pass rush on the defensive side of the ball. They got two sacks last week against Jacob Eason in Georgia. I think it was three, actually, but they only have eight sacks through five games now. Bit of a surprise, too. Dietrich Wise, heading into the season, he, for me, was one of the players that I thought was going to have a salary run senior year. Still might, but he's been surprisingly quiet the defensive end. Offensive line, I do like. A lot of those sacks occurred in the opener against Louisiana Tech. They have plugged those holes over the past month or so. And watch the run blocking. I mentioned Frank Ragnow, the center, one of the most dominant run blocking pivot players in the country. He's somebody I'll be focusing on this evening. Another intriguing SEC battle that Rich and I will be talking about in next segment is Gus Malzahn and Auburn traveled to Starkville to take on Dan Mullen and the Bulldogs. Auburn's played five straight home games. This is their first true SEC row game of the year. Stay with us. This is Joe Lisi and Rich Sermonello live from New York Fantasy Sports Radio Network.
back on Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Rich and I were chomping at the bit, Texas Tech and K-State. I'm continuing because I want to get my points in, Rich. I know we're bucking heads. I'll let you take the floor first, and then I'll be the counterpuncher. I understand what you're saying about Kansas State, but they, we, we view this team in losses as opposed to victories. But again, to your point, though, Joe, we're viewing Texas Tech in losses as well. I mean, you know, you mentioned the Arizona State game. They allowed 68 points. This is an FCS caliber defense. They can't stop on anyone. Listen, I'm not in love with the Kansas State playmakers at all, but this is an opportunity for the Jesse Ertzes, uh, you know, Charles Jones. Charles Jones will run for more than 100 yards today against Texas Tech because it's a feeble defensive squad. Now, I'm not making this pick based on no Mahomes, yes to Nick uh, Shimanek. They'll still throw the ball, but with far less effectiveness. Look at what Kansas State did last week against a good West Virginia offense. I expect the same to happen to Texas Tech, K-State 34, Red Raiders 28. I agree what you're saying, but here's the thing when I look at Kansas State. They're a methodical offense. You look at their victories last year, Rich. They beat South Dakota, the UTSA. They beat La Tech, Iowa State, Kansas, and then they beat West Virginia by a point last year in Manhattan. You look at their victories this year, Florida Atlantic, Missouri State, and that's it. And then you look at Texas Tech this year. They beat Stephen Austin, La Tech, and Kansas. So Horrible. I mean, but again, Horrible. they have quality wins from last year. Look at who they beat last year, Arkansas. Joe, it's 2016. But it's we the scheme. Focus on 2016. I, I understand, but it's it's the same type of personnel. It's from a speed perspective. This Kansas State team, when teams play into them, meaning they allow them to bleed eight minutes off the clock and kick a field goal, you're playing a K-State type of team. Texas Tech will not get into that type of game. Kingsbury will not get into that type of game against Bill Snyder, especially on the road. They're going to put the pedal to the metal, and you're going to see Jesse... He might have no choice. But you're going to see Jesse fall down by 17 points and forced to play catch-up, and that's what I'm saying about this team because they're in a a high-powered conference. That's all I'm saying. If Texas Tech starts fast, I agree with you. That that would be out of character for K State to have to try to come back. Totally agree. I just think that they're gonna they're gonna dictate the tempo, slow things down, which is gonna frustrate the heck out of Texas Tech. When we come back, we have two games on tap that we're gonna be breaking down: Vanderbilt and Kentucky, Auburn, Miss State. Stay with us. This is Joe Lisi, Rich Sermonello, breaking down week number six on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. You're listening to College Football Game Day on SB Nation Radio. Here are your hosts, Rich Sermonello and Joe Lisi. Back on College Football Game Day, you thought we forgot about the marquee battle in the Pac-12. Washington and Oregon in Outson Stadium later tonight. You look at this battle, Oregon's won 12 straight over the Huskies, but the Ducks are underdogs for the first time since 2009, Rich, when they faced the USC Trojans. I don't see a scenario where this is a competitive game. And I know this is where we, where we all get sort of picked off at times. It looks almost too obvious. It looks like a gift. But Washington and Oregon are heading in completely opposite directions. The physicality of the Huskies, how they played against Stanford. Oregon is reeling, playing absolutely no defense. It looks like they're going to be starting a rookie quarterback in Justin Herbert. I just don't see how Washington doesn't put a foot on the jugular and not just win this game by double digits, but by multiple touchdowns. I I would be very surprised if this is a competitive game 
uh, in the fourth quarter. I love the Huskies in this battle. I mean, you look at the physicality perspective of the way they brought it to the Cardinal. Uh, unbelievable. They shut down Christian McCaffrey. This is the team that's number one in sacks and number one in turnover margin. Those are two huge statistics when you look at a finesse offense and defense in the Oregon Ducks because Oregon needs to play with a lead. But again, against the physical offense and defensive lines, they don't play very well, and they haven't played very well in recent years. You can look at that bowl game where they jumped out to a 31-zip lead over TCU and wilted in the second half. I'm not a big proponent of Mark Helfrich as a big game head coach. I love this defense of Washington overall. That's only given up 12 points per game. Miles Gaskin averaging 4.9 yards per carry. Jake Browning, the way he came on in the system, completing 70% of his passes, 17 touchdowns, two interceptions. I think Washington wins this game by 20 points, Rich. I'm in agreement with you. I just don't see any way Oregon pulls out this victory, even though it's a rivalry game. Yeah, the, the only way that this is competitive, in my opinion, Joe, is if intangibles enter the picture. Oregon is home. Oregon has won 12 in a row. Washington may be reading their press clippings a little bit after the whole nation falls in love with them following that Stanford victory. That is the only way. When I look at matchups in this game, I agree. I have it exactly at 20. I have it Washington 44, Oregon 24. This is an eight-point game. I, I would expect to see this line really go into the double digits by the time kickoff this evening at 7.30 Eastern. It's going to be interesting to see how it plays out because this Washington needs this game to really propel itself. If they could dominate this game, even though Oregon is not where they were in years past, it's still Oregon. It's got that, yep. I want to say that luster where, oh, if you could beat Oregon in Outson Stadium, even though Colorado did it, it, it just holds a lot of weight with those voters on the, on the West Coast. So if they could dominate this matchup, look for them to really really solidify that third or fourth spot within the playoff. I just don't see any way Oregon uh, wins this game. Too much finesse for me. They're giving up 210 rushing yards per game and 280 through the air. I think it's a field day as well, but we'll see how it plays out. That's why they play yep. the games. They'll be wearing those retro throwback web foot unis today in <laughs> Eugene. I mean, just uh, it's the 147th uh, uh, type of uh, uh, uniform that Oregon has. I mean, that's why the kids go there. They love the field, love the uni by the Ducks. Yep. Now, I, I agree. Uh, I don't know if they love the program much any longer. I don't know if the program loves Mark Helfrich, and that's going to be a storyline that we'll have to watch throughout the rest of the season. He has now entered the hot seat discussion. Don't know if it's fair. Just a couple of years removed from a national uh, title game appearance, but he's in trouble right now. They have higher expectations in Eugene. Uh, than that program has been showing lately. And I'll just say, how big of a loss was offensive coordinator Scott Frost to become the head coach of UCF? Not the mm. same type of scheme. Obviously, Royce Freeman's injury hurts that offense, but he's he's got multiple issues on both offensive and defensive sides of the ball, but we'll see how it plays out a little bit later tonight. We'll talk about two SEC games. We'll go rapid fire. I like Vanderbilt on the road against Kentucky. Kentucky, to me, they played very well in Tuscaloosa, but I like the offensive defensive lines for Vanderbilt and their ability to run the football between the tackles. I think Vanderbilt gets an upset victory on the road in Lexington, 4 o'clock today. Yeah, huge games uh, in terms of coaching. I mean, I, I think both of these coaches, Stoops and Derek Mason, could be gone at the end of the season. Obviously, the winner 
uh, gets a little bit of a bounce in his step. I agree with you. I like the physicality, the defensive play, Ralph Webb running the ball. Even though it's a road game, I like Vandy as well. Another intriguing battle. Auburn playing its first road game of the year, Rich. I mean, five straight home games to open the year. I mean, unbelievable. They're 3-2 and two overall. The only other team to do that is Michigan, who now is on the road today at Rutgers. Facing a very blue-collar team in Mississippi State. I know Auburn's looked well, but I can't buy into Gus Malzahn. I'm sorry. I'm taking Mississippi State in the upset. They're only giving up 110 rushing yards on the ground. I like Dan Mullen and the crew in the upset uh, in Starkville a little bit later today. I agree with you again, Joe. I, I'm a big proponent of Dan Mullen teams. I know he doesn't have great talent this year, but Nick Fitzgerald gives the run-pass option to Mississippi State against a good Auburn defense, not sold on Malzahn's offense. Uh, so I'll take Mississippi State at home. Didn't realize this was the first uh, road game of the year for Auburn, but that's a big factor as well. It's unreal how they schedule this. Of course they're 3-2. and two. When you play five straight games on the, on the Plains, sure. I mean, you have an advantage. Michigan, too. But we'll see how that plays out a little bit later tonight in Piscataway, a clear ad- advantage for the Wolverines and two of their big playmakers in Rashawn Gary on the defensive side of the ball and Jabril Peppers from the state of New Jersey. Mm-hmm. So keep that in mind. But we'll, how about this Pac-12 battle? Colorado and USC. I mean, USC with a dominating home performance over Arizona State. We both like USC in that matchup. They ran and passed all over the Sun Devils. Manny Wilkins hurt in that battle. But this is a Colorado team Rich, that's only allowing 141 rushing yards per game. They're pounding the rock with Philip Lindsay, 218 rushing yards on the ground. Philip Lindsay's averaging 14 yards per carry. I mean, this team is bought into Mike McIntyre's scheme and system. They're a solid team that inched into the top 25. I like them to get the victory today against USC, 4 o'clock this afternoon. Yeah, I have USC winning, Joe, but uh, but I don't feel a tremendous amount of allegiance to the Trojans right now. Would not be shocked if you were correct in this game. The one thing that the folks have to know, anybody who's listening about Colorado, you know, sometimes you look at records four and one, Colorado, they're ranked. You think to yourself, well, soft, you know, schedule to start the season. Not the case. This is a real program that plays real defense. Chidobe Awuzie, the cornerback, is gonna play on Sundays. Will be a high draft choice. Love the matchup with with he against uh, Juju Smith-Schuster. I like USC only because I think that dynamic has changed with the insertion of Sam Darnold behind center. The offense looks to be more diverse, more unique. You're now starting to get backs like Justin Davis more involved with the game. So I think USC is trending in the right direction. I think this will be a very competitive game. I have it USC 30, Colorado 28, but would not be the least bit shocked if Colorado wins. And if they do, Joe you got to seriously start talking about the Buffs winning the Pac-12 South, which is amazing. Great point. I mean, they, I really like what he did at San Jose State, and I, I'm so happy. Again, I, we talked about Willie Taggart with South Florida, and we talked about Butch Jones with Tennessee, the administration allowing mm-hmm. these guys to keep th- their recruits and get the type of players that they want. It wasn't easy after John Embry left and uh, Eric Bieniemy, former standouts for the university. Bieniemy was the offensive coordinator. Embry was the head coach, but they brought back their type of guys. They just didn't allow them the opportunity to get their type of players there. And Mike McIntyre took a while. You saw the slow progression, but now their kids are buying in. And I'll say it again. If they had Nelson Spruce on this team, they would be explosive. 
You bring up an excellent point that I think needs to be echoed on a more regular basis, which is a lot of administrations are just so impatient with good coaches. And Colorado knew they had a good one in Mike McIntyre through the first three seasons, just 10 wins, 27 losses. I know it looked horrendous, but they they liked what he was instilling in that program. Now it's starting to pay dividends in 2016 at a very difficult place to win. You don't have the facilities of other Pac-12 schools. You don't have the recruiting base, the ability to bring in the four- and five-star kids. So that's a great point, Joe. Sometimes that patience really does pay off. Another intriguing battle in the Pac-12 that Rich and I will touch on in next segment is Arizona on the road in Salt Lake City. Intriguing battle. The Wildcats got this victory in double overtime last year. We'll take a quick break. When Rich and I come back, we're going to be going rapid fire with all the games week number six. This is Joe Lisi and Rich Sermonello on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network, live from New York. Rich and I are going to go rapid fire on as many games as we can possibly get. If not, hit us up on Twitter, at Go for the 2 and at Rich Sermonello, C-I-R-M-I-N-I-E-L-L-O. Rich, here's an intriguing Pac-12 game. Utah and Arizona, when you look at this battle overall, I mean, it's an intriguing battle. I'm sticking with the better team, in my opinion. I like Utah at home tonight. I agree. I mean, I tend to err on the side of of the Utes in general. Very well coached uh, in Kyle Whittingham. Folks I've been talking to at Arizona, Joe, say that there's we're, we're, we're entering a borderline dumpster fire in Tucson. I, I think this is a struggling program. You have a lot of discontented team uh, players in that locker room. So Arizona heading in the wrong direction. They suffer another difficult loss uh, tonight in Utah. Upset special. Washington State on the road over Stanford. Rich, this team is rushing for around 161 yards a game. Last year it was 80 yards per game. A considerable jump in the way they're running the football, which allows them to really hold on to a lead, something that Mike Leach didn't have in his days there in the early part a few years ago, more importantly in his days at Texas Tech. But you look at Washington State's rush defense, only giving up 130 yards on the ground. They pushed Stanford to the limit at home last year. This year in Palo Alto, Luke Falk and the crew get it done. Uh, would not surprise me. I think that's good analysis, Joe. I think it's very good analysis. I, I wonder where the heads of Stanford uh, is right now, Washington State coming off a big victory. Now, listen, you're not going to run the ball the way you did against Oregon, obviously, as you will against Stanford. But, I, I listen, I think this is a very competitive 60-minute game. I think Washington State will be in it throughout. They've got the better quarterback in Luke Falk. Uh, and, and you got a very good coach in Mike Leach. So I, I think this is a uh, toss-up game. And that's a problem on the farm. If you're struggling with Washington State and you're Stanford, it could be a rough season. Quickly, Michigan and Rutgers, high number, 30-and-a-half point favorites. There's no doubt to me Michigan wins this game, but the last time they were here in Piscataway, they lost this battle 26-24. to These guys hate each other. Chris Ash and Jim Harbaugh for the satellite camps, Rich. I know they're coming off a pasting to Ohio State in Columbus, but I think Rutgers plays Michigan very tough inside the 30-and-a-half today. I have a hard time betting on Rutgers at any point. I just haven't seen anything from this club that tells me they'll compete. I'll take Michigan, and I'll, I'll lay those points. I think they could have a shutout this evening. Some other games that Rich and I are going to look at, UCLA and Arizona State, South Carolina and Georgia will 
take a quick break. When we come back, stay with us. This is Joe Lisi, Rich Sermonello, live from New York, Fantasy Sports Radio Network. You're listening to College Football Game Day on SB Nation Radio. Here are your hosts, Rich Sermonello and Joe Lisi. Rich and I were touching on Arizona and Utah, but Rich, when you look at Rich Rodriguez as a whole, I mean, he comes there, it's like he's a firecracker. He comes in, all of a sudden he gets expectations to the level of, we can change it, we could be a contender, and then... As the years progress, we seem to see a downward spiral, much in the way that he came there in Ann Arbor with a, a quarterback named Tate Forcier. I'm seeing the same type of results now on the desert in Tucson. It's a good point, Joe. You know, you look at the 2014, Rich Rod wins 10 games, appears in the Pac-12 title game. Last year, 7-6. and six. This year, I'm not sure if they, 2-3 and three right now, I'm not even sure if they qualify for a bowl game. Just not a lot of real enthusiasm. Where are the star playmakers? Where's your Scooby Wright, a new Solomon, uh, partially because of injuries? He has flatlined uh, in the program. So I, I agree. I think there's been a real sort of a plateau that has taken place under Rich Rod at Arizona. It's incredible when we see this game play out because, again, it's an, a contrast in styles. Again, Utah struggles with speed teams, so if you could jump up early on them and force them out of their comfort zone and force Troy Williams and that offense to come from behind, you have a shot. Now, they did that last year at home in Tucson, got them into an overtime uh, game, and then they pulled off that victory, so that's what I like to see when you see Utah play overall can they dictate tempo they usually do in salt lake city yeah to me this is a poor man's version of oregon versus washington i look at the game similarly you have the speed of oregon you have the speed of arizona versus the physicality of washington and utah i'll take the physicality particularly at home uh yeah tough loss by utah last week the goal line stand against cal but so good at the line of scrimmage so dominant on the defensive side of the ball they're they're gaining a little bit of maturity, Joe, in the offensive backfield now that Troy Williams, Zach Moss, they, they, they continue to play one game at a time, getting a little bit better. So I think they dominate Arizona. I'm just not buying the Wildcats as a team that could bounce back in the second half of the year. Yeah, we'll see how it plays out. 10 o'clock start in Salt Lake City. Here's a game. It will be played tomorrow. Note, Sunday at 2.30 on the SEC Network, Georgia and South Carolina. You look at the last five games, Georgia has played South Carolina very tough. I mean, but South Carolina is 3-2 and two over the Bulldogs and have won those ball games rich since 2011 by 11 points per game. It's a rivalry game. These teams, recruiting-wise, hate each other. And more importantly, Will Muschamp and Kirby Smart, former teammates, you know Will, Will Muschamp wants to bring it to Kirby Smart. He's the more experienced head coach. And more importantly, I think he's got the slightly better defense at home in Columbia. Does he have enough offense? That's my concern, and that'll be my concern with South Carolina throughout the balance of the season. Georgia obviously took it on the chin against Tennessee. This game used to mean a lot. I think it really uh, it speaks to how far these programs have slipped that we're not paying a ton of attention to it, but 
They have the better young quarterback in Jake Beeson. You have the better uh, stable of backs, whether Nick Chubb is 100% or not, Sony Michelle, Brian Herrian. So I like the offensive superiority of Georgia. I think they go into South Carolina. It'd be kind of a weird game, right? Sunday football in October for from a college perspective. But I think Georgia wins this game. And, and interesting about the defense for Kirby Smart, five games, six total sacks. Last year, they only had 21 total sacks as a defensive unit, which ranked 97th out of 104 FBS teams. And you look at their offensive line, five games, 15 sacks allowed. How much mm. of it is to Jacob Eason's inexperience in terms of his reads and progressions, where he wants to go with the football? We'll see how it plays out because, again, it's a rivalry game. And, and both of these coaches, yeah, they're teammates, but they want to win this game bad because now the pressure's on their program. Even though South Carolina in a rebuilding phase, Will Muschamp has a lot of pressure as a head coach now because a lot of people didn't think he would get this job and shocked by the hire. So mm-hmm. I'm going with the slight upset. I'm not sold on the Bulldogs. Another thing, Rich, offensively only averaging 26 points per game in back-to-back years. Last year it was 26 as well, their lowest total since prior to 2008. Former offensive coordinator Mike Bobo, now the head coach of Colorado State. How much of that factors into that scoring output by the Bulldogs? Yeah, listen, it's going to take time. I, I think people can't jump the gun on Georgia at this point. You have a new staff. Uh, this was not the most talented team in the SEC when the season began. They're going with a true freshman quarterback in Easton. I thought all along that 2016 was more of a table setter for next year. I think we'll get a better evaluation of the potential of Kirby Smart as a head coach in 2017. We're just going to go winners here. We'll go rapid fire on five or six games. I think UNLV mm-hmm. plays very close to the vest against San Diego State. San Diego State wins a very close game. I disagree only because I think I think the Aztecs are angry after uh, their last loss against South Alabama. I like Oregon State to challenge California. California wins, but it's very close in Corvallis. Agree. Cal coming off an emotional win against Utah. Gary Anderson's got a tough job at Oregon State, but Cal still has defensive holes. I think that's a, comp- a competitive game. I love the physicality of Utah State on the road against Mike Bobo and the Rams. I like the way uh, Kent Myers played last week in Boise. I like Utah State to pick up this victory convincingly. Double digits. Uh, make that two of us. I agree with you, Joe. Another intriguing battle we'll we'll look at right here, Fresno State in Nevada. It's an intriguing one. I I think Nevada at home, Fresno State making strides, but still not sold on their physicality, especially in run support. How strange is that with Tim DeRuiter, too? I mean, there was just a couple of years ago, he looked like he was uh, getting primed for possibly a Pac-12 or certainly a Power 5 job, and he has really hit some hard times. Good coach, but right now he's in the middle of a difficult career skid. Last game, I'll say, before we go, and we'll catch it on the back end, Arizona State plays UCLA very, very tough. For jo- for Rich Sermonello, this is Joe Lisi. Stay with us. Follow us. Hit us up on Twitter. Follow us each and every Saturday, 10 a.m. to 12 p.m. For jo- Rich Sermonello, this is Joe Lisi. Enjoy the games. Have a great weekend, everyone.
Back on college football game day. Rich and I are going to go rapid fire. Rich, we forgot some Big Ten games. Iowa and Minnesota. I like the Hawkeyes on the road because of their back end with Desmond King and that secondary. think they could keep Mitch Leidner in check. I know they're not running the football effectively, but I still like the Hawkeyes on the road in mini today. Yeah, you know, I haven't been impressed by Iowa. It's been a surprisingly disappointing team for me this season. Uh, I'm going to take Minnesota at home in a mild upset. Indiana coming off that victory over Michigan State. They believe they can win this game. Legau and Divine Renning and Ricky Jones. I'm taking Joe Mo. Now, I don't think they win this game, but they traditionally play Ohio State very tough. They lost that ball game in Bloomington by seven points last year. I think they can move the football on the Buckeyes today. I think it's a Buckeye victory, but I think they can keep it within the 28 points later today. Joe, this is a different Ohio State team, which is why I like them so much. They're able to really apply the knockout punch. We saw it last week against Rutgers, 58 to nothing. I think this is a big victory. Just too much speed, too much overall talent. I see Ohio State covering and continuing to roll. My Boilermakers, I'm sipping it. I'm drunk on Purdue. I'm taking the Boilermakers over West Lund. There's no way West Lund and Lovey Smith should be favored in this game by 10, 9.5 points. No way. He, they're in a major rebuilding phase. I know they played well, and I picked them last week to keep that game very close in Memorial Stadium. They did just that. They have the emotional letdown. Purdue and David Blau strike the upset. You're just not giving up on the Boilermaker. <laughs> I, I think at this point, Joe Lisi would be picking Will Purdue, uh, Frank <laughs> Frank Purdue, anything Purdue associated. I don't understand where your mindset is. I can't pick that team at this point. They're horrendous. They'll be without a coach in a couple of months. Uh, I'll take Illinois at home. I'm looking for the days of Vinny Sutherland and Drew Brees to come back <laughs> to West Lafayette. Another game, Rich, Houston and Navy. I just see way too much speed for Houston. Navy not running the football the way they used to, especially since Keenan Reynolds went to the NFL. Uh, Greg Ward is the best player on the field in that defense, uh, led by Taylor, just a sack machine. Way too much Houston. I think they dominate this game. Yeah, how about Ed Oliver on the defense of Houston, a true freshman playing about as well as any rookie in the country this year. Listen, Houston wins. Navy's kind of tricky. In Annapolis, I would never look past the midshipmen. I, I think this could be a competitive game for a couple of quarters before Ward and the rest of the team take flight in the second half. We're just getting started. Stay with us each and every Saturday. For Rich Sermonello, this is Joe Lisi. Enjoy the games. Tweet us. Have a great weekend, everyone.